Welcome back. It's episode 49 of The Build. Glad you're here with me again. We're in our Raphael Harvey Pinard era. Our Riley Barber moment. Our Logan Shaw period. Michael Bourneval is another one that comes to mind. But no, no 49 to this point has surpassed Brian Savage, in my opinion. Parts of nine seasons in Montreal, 465 games with the Canadians, 285 points. He also had the first hat trick in Bell Center history, which seems really important. So as far as remembering guys go, he's a strong guy candidate. Not quite a dude, but definitely a guy. Anyway, <clears throat> how's your summer been? My, I'm pretty much dying for hockey to come back. Um, I don't know how many more Reddit posts I can read about David Reinbacher potentially having a knee problem that will entirely go away once he stops growing. Um, I don't know how many more times I can read <laughs> about people, you know, matter-of-factly saying Slavkovsky has gotten 20% better. It's all... It's all just craziness at this point in the season. As far as like player movement goes and the interesting stuff that we look forward to in the the off season, it's been kind of a dud. I keep reading about how NHL teams are supposedly waiting for the inevitable Eric Carlson trade, and that's why the off season has been slow. But I have a really hard time believing that. First, there aren't even really that many teams in on Carlson because his contract is difficult to take on. Like, we're, we're looking at Pittsburgh and Carolina as being the teams that are interested in Eric Carlson. There are probably at least 25 other teams in this league who could be conducting business as usual, but just aren't because the cap is flat. That's why the, the offseason sucks is because the, the salary cap has not has not moved. And second, I'm not even convinced that a Carlson trade happens this summer or at all in the near future. It could happen, sure, but big trades like this get talked about for like a year or more before they actually happen. Like the first Duchesne trade, remember that from Colorado to Ottawa? Or the Jacob Chikrin trade, like we had been talking about Jacob Chikrin being traded out of Arizona for what felt like his entire career until he was finally moved last season and I think this one feels like the Duchesne trade to me in that I think it drags into training camp and maybe a few regular season games before we see a trade happen involving um, Eric Carlson but you know it's uh it is not it I just I the offseason has not been what it was cracked up to be but the Canadians are not one of those teams interested in Carlson, so we're going to move on to guys who are actually Montreal Canadiens, and that being Alex Newhook. Uh, I know I'm a little late on this, but a little over a week ago, the Canadians signed Alex Newhook to a four-year deal worth $2.9 million per season. That is his cap hit. Uh, Newhook's just 22 years old, and when this contract expires in the summer of 2027, he will still be a restricted free agent. As far as my expectations for this deal were, this is pretty good. If Newhook doesn't take a leap forward and he sticks around 30 points in a third-line role, that contract won't kill the Canadians. 
And if he improves to be a 40 to 45 point player in the next few years, it's a really nice deal to get a 40 or 45 point player for less than $3 million. And considering the Canadians seem ready to give him a shot in the top six, I really like the odds of his production increasing. I'm buying the the new hook hype in that sense. So, you know, I don't really have too much else to add on this. It's really just a nice little piece of business by the Canadians. Well, I think they, they, they gave up way too much at the draft floor or, you know, ahead of the draft for him in draft capital. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, they traded uncertains in draft picks for a relatively uncertain asset in Alex Newhook. So while I don't love the trade value in this respect, they didn't compound the issue by committing a bunch of money in term to that uncertain asset, right? Like he's making less than Kirby Doc is making, which makes sense because, you know, as we talked about, like Newhook, everyone liked to compare this to the, the Kirby Doc trade. And while the asset management kind of matches, the asset really doesn't. Newhook is a much different player than Kirby Doc. Kirby Doc was probably a little bit more certain of an asset than Newhook was. Um, but the Canadians didn't, you know, give him an eight-year deal worth $6 million, right? They gave him a, it's still kind of a, it's definitely a bridge deal. It's a four-year bridge, which is a very long, we're not used to seeing bridge deals of that length. Um, but the Canadians really believe in this player. That much was clear when they traded two pretty valuable draft picks for him. Um, I don't think we've seen that belief fail just yet elsewhere, right? Like they, the Canadians very much, um, they like the players they like and they will acquire the players they like. I don't know that we've necessarily seen that backfire as of yet. So while the trade probably involved a little too much of that belief in the player, the cap hit in the term makes a ton of sense for the team. So um, contract's great. Really, really, really interested to see how he fits in with this team. I still I still think, like, looking at the depth chart, he's a winger on this roster. Um, I just don't know where you can get him the top six reps if he's, if he's you know, competing with Nick Suzuki and Kirby Doc for a center position. Um, but I think he can still be a very effective player on the wing. So we'll have to see how it works out. All right, let's take a look um, at some decisions that have yet to be made regarding the Canadians um, and their, their roster structure, their cap structure. Um, I've been thinking a lot about what training camp is going to look like for this team um, because, you know, we sort of training camp hits and then we're playing preseason games and before you know it players are getting cut so it's it's kind of i thought it was a useful exercise to get ahead of it this year and try to figure out what what is going to happen in mid to late september um, assuming the decisions have have not been made by the time training camp rolls around montreal has six preseason games this year that will likely be the closing arguments for the players um, you know, sort of around the margins of this roster. First of all, I'd like to applaud the Canadians for finally playing a fewer number of, of preseason games. They usually play 894, and this year they've only decided to play six. So a step in the right direction. They are still playing in the rookie showcase, not really a tournament, but the rookie showcase in Buffalo. They have three games there. 
I always hate those rookie showcase games. I will never understand the need to have those. Um, but that's an argument for another day. I want to let's start in net and work our way out. Um, there's really only three names in play for the Canadians in net: Sam Montembeau, Jake Allen, and Caden Primo. Um, this upcoming season will be the first without waiver exemption for one Caden Primo, meaning he will need to clear waivers to go to Laval during training camp. Does Primo have a shot at an NHL roster spot? I think they're certainly going to find that out in training camp, right? Like that's what they're going to use that for. But I wonder if the Canadians will try to trade him in the preseason or you know, just before we get to the regular season at all, for an AHL goalie who has already cleared waivers or who, do not, who does not require them. Um, you know, it kind of serves a few needs here. It does right by the player and Caden Primo to find him an NHL roster spot. He's contractually earned that, um, you know, by, by virtue of him not being eligible to, um, you know, go through waivers. Um, while also doing right by the organization by getting an asset for Primo instead of losing him for nothing. Um, or maybe they wave him and he clears and all this is for nothing. At any rate, I don't see them using three roster spots on goaltenders. So there is a decision looming in net, whether that's, I think the most, uh, the, the, the most obvious option would be to, to have Primo clear waivers and go to Laval. But what if, what if, you know, camp rolls around and Primo looks fantastic and Jake Allen doesn't look so great. And Montembeau still looks like he's the best goaltender of the bunch. What do you do then? I don't know that you're going to find a, a home for Jake Allen at that point. So maybe if, you know, I think the, the only way Primo can stay with this roster is if he forces their hand and makes them carry three goalies for a little bit. But I, I think that's the least likely of, of of any of the scenarios that could play out between now and, and opening night. So I don't see them holding three roster spots for goaltenders, and that's because there are too many skaters on this roster. Um, Cat Friendly has the Canadians holding 12 NHL forwards, seven NHL defensemen, and two NHL goalies for a total of 21 players. And while that's under the 23-player limit, it does not consider the four players on injured reserve. Cole Caulfield, Sean Monaghan, Uri Slavkovsky, and Arbor Zakai. That puts the Canadians at 25 players without considering the likes of Owen Beck and Sean Farrow. Those guys are probably, you know, kind of outside shots of making the NHL team out of camp, but they played NHL games last year. Um it also doesn't that that doesn't factor into you know any of this that yes uh, Ulanin is still without a contract at the moment i'm not really sure what's going to happen there but you know without those two players without beck and farrell the canadians are still going to need to shed bodies before opening night um the waiver exempt players on the nhl roster are currently rathiel harvey pinard Jordan Harris, Justin Barron, uh, Kaden Gooley, Yuri Slavkovsky, and Arbor Jackai. I don't think any of these guys are playing in Laval to start next season. Again, that's what training camp's for, to, to hash that out. 
Um, and, you know, if if Montreal has yet to decide whether or not Jesse Ullinen is is part of the long-term plans in Montreal, like, what does that do for the roster calculation, the, 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 the roster math? So while things are quiet right now across the league, the Canadians have some decisions to make before they play their first game of the regular season. They'll probably leave a good number of those decisions to um, training camp to decide. You know, you get these guys back after a long, restful summer, see what they worked on over the summer, see who's going to be part of this team moving forward. That doesn't exactly lead to much of an exciting offseason, but in a flat cap world, this is kind of what you what we'll expect. Um, and for a team like the Canadians who, you know, we, we're not really looking at them to spend to the cap. We're not looking at them to, you know, spend a ton of money to try to be better now. This isn't an issue with cap space so much as it is roster space and opportunity costs for these players, for the young players who you want to have up in the lineup. You know, how how are they going to make the case for themselves in training camp? So it'll be interesting to see that unfold um, you know, as we get through the dog days of summer. Um, another thing that I've been kind of thinking of is, you know, this whole podcast is sort of centered around the idea that I want to figure out what these guys are thinking. And, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking of currently is, you know, can we bank on Kent Hughes to repeat himself this summer? If we're looking for trends, last August, Montreal used their cap space to add an asset um, in the Sean Monaghan trade, they acquired Sean Monaghan in a first-round pick, the conditions of which there is not enough memory on my computer to explain. Um, the and 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 Sean Monaghan, they they got a player in that that they've also kept and been very happy with. Um, right now, with Carey Price's contract on long-term injured reserve, the Canadians have a little under seven million dollars in cap space. Um, could Montreal take advantage of that space on a short-term deal like last season? We talked about Eric Carlson earlier. No, I'm not saying to bring in Eric Carlson, but a team like Pittsburgh, who's allegedly very in on Eric Carlson, they would need to clear cap space to make that happen. Would Jeff Carter waive his no trade clause to come to Montreal in a trade that clears cap space for the Pittsburgh Penguins? And he doesn't just have a, a modified no trade. He has a full no move. So like he would have to really be in on the idea of coming to Montreal knowing full well that he would almost certainly be flipped at the deadline, but he would probably control his destiny in that. So it, maybe it makes it worth it to him, to Jeff Carter, to come to Montreal, you know, play a lower lineup role and go to a cup contender at the deadline. I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, but it's an idea that, that kind of fits that Sean Monaghan um, mold, so to speak. Um, I'm looking at Washington, who's only slightly over the salary cap, but they've been looking to move a guy like Anthony Mantha. He hasn't been a fit in Washington. His cap hit is pretty prohibitive um, to a team in Washington, who I, I would imagine is trying to get better as fast as possible, um, you know, to try to keep that competitive window open for Alex Ovechkin um, to potentially win another cup. Would they be willing to attach a future asset to Anthony Mantha in order to move him? Uh, he's got one more season at $5.7 million before he hits UFA. 27 points in 67 games last season. I don't know how much of a market there could be for a guy like that. And then I look at Josh Anderson's stats, and I wonder what the plan is there. And I start to get a little worried, but that's a different question for another day. 
Um, the, the, the main question here really is, can Kent Hughes continue to weaponize the cap space created by Carey Price being on long-term injured reserve? Um, there's, there may still be time to pull this off. There's one big trade left to be determined this summer in Eric Carlson. Can the Canadians find their way in there? Um, remember, Monaghan, that trade happened late in the summer because the Flames made some headway with Nazem Kadri. In, in signing him from unrestricted free agency and they needed to clear the cap space. So the Canadians were there to pull that off. The Carlson trade might create another opportunity for a smart team to capitalize on somebody else going for it. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if Kent Hughes can, can find his way in there. Um, I'd be really fascinated at, at seeing if, if this is part of his MO, if he wants to continue to do this while the salary cap, for lack of a better term, doesn't really matter to the Canadians. All right, uh, we'll do some questions from the mailbag. You guys actually sent in a whole bunch, uh, and then we'll get out of here. First one from Ad, uh, at Adam Firebear on Twitter. Um, what is your way too early prediction for what this year is going to be like for the Canadians? The great thing about this question is I don't think it's too early anymore. We kind of know what this team is going to look like with some questions around the fringes of the roster. And we kind of know what the rest of the division is going to look like, you know, for better or for worse. Um, so looking at the rest of the division, Montreal finished dead last in the Atlantic last season. And while injuries played a big role, I don't know that they've improved enough to leapfrog anybody just yet. Um, the closest teams are likely the same closest teams that existed last year in Ottawa, Detroit, and Buffalo. And I think all of those teams are trending upward with the... I don't know, maybe Ottawa's about the same, maybe a little worse than last year. Um, but Detroit and Buffalo are moving, they're moving onwards and upwards. So unless Montreal stays very healthy and outplays even their most optimistic projections, we're likely looking at another last place finish in the Atlantic. Um, it's just, it's just a, it's a really tough division and it's a good time for the Canadians to not be very good um, because it's going to be very easy to not be very good in this division. And looking around the league at teams who finished around Montreal's spot, um, Chicago got better overnight by drafting Bedard, and then they added a bunch of depth pieces to insulate him. I, you know, I, I, I know some of the price tags on the guys that Chicago has gotten this this summer have been ridiculous, like especially the Felino and the the Corey Perry deals. But again, they're kind of in the same situation as Montreal, where the cap doesn't matter to Chicago right now. They kind of need they needed help reaching the floor. And that that, that these deals help them do so without spending, you know, on term, without spending a ton of money over a long period of time. Arizona, I think, is trending upwards. Um, you know, their their arena situation aside. There are some really fun pieces on that Arizona team. Uh, uh, Matias Michelli was fantastic last year. Clayton Keller had a real, really, really good season last year. Um, I feel like that team is going to take some steps forward this year and and be a, be not you know definitely not knocking on the door of the playoffs, but they probably play themselves out of the top ten as far as next year's draft goes. Um, the Blue Jackets and the Flyers are probably still in the same ballpark as Montreal in my mind. Um, both are still very much bad and have not really improved. The Flyers may have gotten worse, but it might be, you know, sort of addition by subtraction sort of thing in the pieces that they have moved on from. Um, 
Anaheim and San Jose, I think those teams are definitely still worse than the Canadians, and they're they're active. At least San Jose is actively trying to get worse. Vancouver wants to be better. I don't think they are better. So just a you know a, a sort of eye in the sky view of the standings. I think we're in store for another bottom ten, bottom ten finish, with the chance to be bottom five again. Um, you know, I think a lot of teams won't be as shame, shamelessly tanking like they were last year, um, which I think should ultimately benefit the Canadians. They'll, they'll probably have an easier time bottoming out one last time. Um, with all that said, the Habs had a ton of bad injury luck last season, and if they're even a little bit healthier, they, the, the guys on this roster will take a step forward. But it's just really hard seeing them jump over any of the teams in their own division unless those guys have absolutely cataclysmic seasons. So again, another bottom 10 finish. Um, get one more lottery pick. And then you work on turning this core into into a contender. Um, you'll have Slavkovsky going into the last year of his entry-level deal. Reinbacher will be here on his entry-level deal. As will Lane Hudson, you have to imagine. Doc and Newhook will still be on sweetheart deals. Before you know it, it's going to be time for them to start turning this into a, a competitive team. And I have thoughts on that later on. Um, I'm still expecting a sub-500 NHL team. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine a big step forward in the, the rankings here for Montreal. All right, next good old fork at Hockey Night asks, who shredded harder, Potsy Weber or Danny Partridge? Uh, this one is tough because it's uh, way before my time, but I will go with uh, Danny Partridge just because Potsy got muscled out of the limelight on, of Happy Days when Fonzie became the focus. He, he's not even the, the main character in his own story. How can he be the main character in that in that argument? So that's, that's what I'm going with there. Thanks, Fork. Uh, up next, uh, Brendan at Sergey Bubtitsky, very funny name, on Twitter asks, uh, who do you think will take the biggest leap forward in production this season? Um, I, just based on trajectory, I feel like Doc is a really safe answer for that question. Um, he'll have the best line mates he's had since joining the Canadians. If the rest of the roster stays healthy, as you know, as if if Kirby Doc stays healthy as well, he'll be able to play center. And drive play on his own line instead of riding shotgun with Suzuki and Caulfield. I still kind of like the idea of playing Caulfield with Doc. Um, but And I know there are some people who would like to see Doc with Suzuki and Caulfield because it gives them something that resembles like a, a top line. But I think the Canadians are better and Doc is better if he's driving his own line. Um, it's nicer. It's a It's a nicer idea to spread those guys out. Doc was on pace for 53 points last year before it got derailed by injuries, so I I think this might be his real breakout season. Perhaps a sneakier option might be Caden Gooley, who I really think has more to show offensively than we've seen from him so far. Um, there are flashes of him really wanting to to drive the, the, the play forward and jump up in the rush and do things like that, but the Canadians were just kind of so bad at moving the puck north-south that he'd never really got that opportunity, and then he was also hurt for a... a majority of the season um so I, I those are my two guys i'm looking at doc and i'm looking at Gooley. um so thanks for sending that in next luke bellencourt at o digital 0968 asks a bit of an open-ended question 
how do you think social media has changed the sports fan experience? Um, you pointed out some other things in the tweet, like funct- functioning like an online pub, how podcasts and live shows foster online communities, and the lack of fan-athlete interactions online. I want to start with that last point because I think it kind of feeds into the rest of it. It's probably in the best interest of the athlete to avoid interacting with fans on the internet. Even in their best intentions, it probably won't work out the way that they want them to. Um, In the grand scheme of things, our opinions as fans should have no value to a professional athlete and really only serve to negatively impact the way they think about the, the game that they play or the way that they're doing their job. Perhaps that's a, an overly pessimistic take, but it's not even August yet. I hate the summer, the, this sort of the pessimism that I live in at this time of year. But most of sports Twitter, most of social media surrounding sports is pessimism. The, the, the idea that we were, you know, friendships are formed around the, the idea that we all root for the same bad sports teams and there's comfort in that camaraderie. That's how I see the online pub aspect that you mentioned about how Twitter kind of acts like that way. Um, the problem with that is that the internet at large does not find that camaraderie sufficient, and users now direct their feelings at the athletes themselves, which is not a healthy behavior by any means. Um, you know, David Reinbacher saw the most of that in this this uh, at the draft, which is just you know inexcusable, honestly. Um, that's probably why most athletes just post like sponsored content and the occasional shower thought. It's just not smart for them to be interacting with some of the dumbest people that you know. <laughs> like, think about that. Like most of the people that you know on Twitter and that you interact with on a regular basis, those are guys that you like. But check the replies to any tweet from any athlete or any tweet from any team. And you've just got some of the dumbest people who hide behind like these meme profile pictures who just say the most insane things you've ever heard. Um, On the topic of live shows, that's something that the Canadians community has embraced over the last few years, as I'm sure has been the case throughout hockey in general with everyone being locked in their homes not all that long ago. Um, The Locked On Canadians guys do them somewhat regularly. I was even on one a few weeks ago. Game over Montreal over at SDPN, um, which I've also been very fortunate to be a guest on, um, has created a really great post-game environment for people who are tired of listening to drunk radio callers. Um, the live chats are awesome. Um, you know, you come to, you know, especially game over, because I know that, that one, it's just, it happens way more regularly. You, I know I jump into the chat and I see the same people thinking the same things um, that they thought a week ago. And you, it's sort of nice to see like, you know, that almost the, the people in the chat are almost like reoccurring characters on this show. Um, the hosts of all of those shows of, of Game Over Montreal and of SDPN, they clearly know what they're doing. They know who they're doing it for. And it's a perfect combination. Um, I'd love to try to live stream someday. It's something I've thought about for a while. Um, I don't know that I have the audience for it just yet, but I'm definitely curious about it. Um, I'd want to do it right. So perhaps more to come on that in the future. But thanks for sending in the question. All right. A few questions here from Beth of Happy Hour fame at Heverwe. Uh, is it October yet? Unfortunately, Beth, it is not even August yet at the time I'm recording this. So um, no, this offseason feels unusually long and I hate it. Uh, despite what you want to be brought into the sport, 
What do you think is the next technological advancement that will be introduced by the NHL? The answer to the want part of this would be the eagle eye technology that they use in tennis to see if the ball went over the line. But that's smart, and the NHL would never do it. It wouldn't be perfect because there'd be lots. There's a lot more bodies on the playing surface than there is in tennis, um, and that would block camera angles and whatnot. But it would be better than the refs using a Nintendo Switch to look at a blown up 480p video of the puck where it moves two feet in two frames. But in the spirit of your question, I think the NHL is really, really late to the VR space. Um, other sports have dabbled in it. I believe you could watch certain NBA games in VR. Um, it would be really, really cool to be able to put a VR camera at center ice or between the benches to let people experience that inner arena feeling at home, like being able to look side to side and seeing the benches and things like that. I think that would be really, really cool um, as a way to like watch a hockey game at home, you know, in a way that you haven't done before. It's not, I wouldn't watch all 82 Canadians games like that, but it would be cool. I, you know, you pay 10 bucks to, to basically get a, a ticket at center ice for a game. That'd be pretty cool. Um, what team other than the Habs are you most inter- impressed with? Sorry. Uh, so far this off season, I don't know if there's a team that has impressed me more than another. A lot of mistakes get made, um, in, in the summers, not only do a lot of mistakes get made, there's a lot of mea culpas about mistakes as well. Like, you know, like uh, Caroline, or was it, no, it was Philadelphia buying out Tony D'Angelo. Like that that's the sort of, that's the kind of move that's like categorized this whole summer to me. Like the, the Oliver ekman Larson trade, like the, the, the stuff that, that, or did they trade him or did they buy him? I think they bought him out. I can't even remember at this point. There was a lot of dumb money spent over the last few years, and teams have kind of had their reckoning with it this summer is what it felt like. And there wasn't a lot of, like, free agents to buy. Um, I thought the Capitals did particularly well in the draft. Um, I thought the, the Rangers did pretty well in the draft. Um, I, I think... I don't know if I would say I'm the mo- I was impressed with what this team did and what this general manager did, but from an outsider's perspective, I was fascinated by what the Toronto Maple Leafs did under Bradshaw Living. Um, they added a ton, but all of it just for a year, with the exception of Ryan Reeves, who they gave three years to for some reason, but that's neither here nor there. They Max Domi, Tyler Bertuzzi, John Klingberg. That's a lot of firepower that they're bringing in for just a year. And it's because the, the plan seems pretty clear. We, they want to extend William Nylander and Austin Matthews and then see what they have. And if those two don't extend, well, the rest of this roster signed for just basically another year. So if they don't extend, we're going to give this this team one more run at it. And if it doesn't work, we got to blow it up next summer. They have just 11 players on their NHL roster under contract next season. So I don't know if I've I've been impressed by what they've done because I don't know that necessarily it's going to work. But I really respect Brad Living coming into a seemingly impossible situation and really just putting it all out there. Look, you have a year. Can you make it worth it? They're going. They're they're constantly the most fascinating team in the league to me because I just don't know what they're doing wrong, <laughs> and like I can't, I can't look away. Like they're 
they're people complain all the time oh there's too much toronto maple leafs coverage they they have the largest market share and they're also like if you if you took this team out of toronto and put them in oklahoma it would still be fascinating because i don't know that like I don't know that this gamble that they're taking is going to be worth it. It's it, they're they're a fascinating team to watch, and I know that Habs fans hate hearing that, but it's it's the truth. Like they are at an absolute crossroads to figure out if they can get this thing done. Uh, last one, which is better in your opinion, cinnamon roll or sticky bun? Cinnamon roll every day and twice on Sunday, and that's not to say anything about the sticky bun. I would just die defending the cinnamon roll. That's a character trait at this point. For me, honestly, so cinnamon roll for me. Thank you, Beth. Moving on, another frequent caller here, DF Pendries, has a few questions. At uh, DF Pendries on Twitter, does Caden Primo clear waivers? It's a good thing you asked this because I talked about Primo earlier and prepared for him being claimed and not being claimed, but I never actually like said what I thought would was more likely. Um, with goalies in the preseason, it's really a mixed bag. If a team loses a goalie to an injury in the preseason or one performs poorly, the chances of sneaking Primo through are pretty, are pretty low. Like they're, he's going to get grabbed, but if Montreal waves him early enough in camp, like if he goes out there and he plays, you know, a game and a half and he just stinks it up, like maybe Montreal makes that decision early to get, you know, to just make sure they can get him to Laval. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I think, I think if you, if I had to put a, you know, a percentage on it, if they go the waiver route, I, I, I would, I would tend to believe that like, I'm, I'm like 65% certain he would clear, but I really don't know. Uh, what is it going to take to get Hoffman out of here? It seems like Hughes may have to add an an asset to the deal. I don't think Hoffman is going anywhere until the trade deadline. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think the plan for him has to be play him in a third line role. Shelter him when you can. If he can pot 10, 15 goals before the deadline. I don't think Montreal is going to need to attach an asset to get rid of him. I bet they 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 retain half of his contract, right? The last they retain half of his salary for the remainder of the year. And of course that relies on Hoffman playing well, which isn't exactly the betting favorite right now. But if you're waiting for a Hoffman trade to happen, I think you're going to be waiting until the year ends in 4. Like it's it's go it's not going to I don't think it's going to happen right away cuz what team would do that right now? He's absolutely at the lowest value possible. And Montreal shouldn't be in the they they don't need the space like they I don't think Montreal's in the market of attaching assets to things to trade them. Um, what do you do with Armia unless I miss something? I don't think you missed anything. Um, honestly, if he plays in training camp like he did last season, he needs to be waived and sent to Laval. Um, if the choice becomes playing a guy like Harvey Pinard or Sean Farrell over UL Armia. Armia's contract should not be the deciding factor in keeping him in the NHL. Um, plus, in the AHL, he becomes slightly more attractive from a trade perspective since teams could acquire him and keep him in the AHL. And right now, if you put him in the AHL, you save like a little over a million bucks because you can bury that in the minors. Ultimately, I, I'll come to the same consistent place that I've come to. The cap hit is not killing the Canadians right now. 
because they are not a cap team. So the idea of buying him out does not make a ton of sense to me. Um, I know people have floated that idea, but that buyout window has passed for this offseason. And, you know, next season, I really don't see the point in taking a one-year problem, which is what he would be at that point, and making it a two-year problem, right? Like, I just, I, I don't agree with that math. So I think, you know, if, if it comes down to playing a younger player who could use the NHL experience over UL Armia, Armia has to be waived and sent to Laval. That's just, it's, it's, it stinks. He's a cool guy, you know, a nice guy. He probably, I don't think anyone's more disappointed for the way things have, in the way things have gone than UL Armia. Um, so that's that. Thanks. Uh, thanks DF. All right. Last question here from Rob at birdie. O 66. Big picture question. The Habs keep talking about skipping a step in their rebuild. I don't think they are remotely close. Do you think this is Gorton's vision or is Molson already losing patience? Um, it's a really good question. And I think I, I, I don't like, I don't want to split hairs, but I believe the, the thing that we're talking about here was Kent Hughes said, um, if there's a shortcut to the rebuild, the Canadians will take it. I, I, I I don't disagree with the idea that that sounds like skipping a step. But a shortcut doesn't necessarily mean you're, you know, you're not doing things uh, to rule, right? Like you're doing things, you're still getting the desired outcome. Like I think acquiring a Kirby Doc is a shortcut in a rebuild. Anytime you can acquire a third overall pick who, you know, still has not really had the the space to show what he is, that's a shortcut, right? Like I, that's, that's the way that I look at it. Um, but I think to the, the bulk of your question, like, is this Gorton's vision, Gorton and Molson or Gorton and Hughes's vision, or is this Molson losing patience? It's probably a little of column A, a little column B, right? Like this is probably Gorton's vision that he sold Molson on when he hired him, which Molson must've really liked since he decided to break the VP of hockey operations and GM roles into two separate roles. Remember, Mark Bergevin had both of those roles up until, uh, you know, November of 2021 or whatever it was. So, you know, I think I think both points are salient there. And I think, you know, I think the longer the Canadians go without having a contender, the heat is really going to go on to Jeff Molson. I know people kind of already think that you know, perhaps we're being a little unfair to the guy who owns the team, but like he's, he's the common denominator in all of this, right? Like if they continue to fail, it, it more and more stacks in his pile of this is on you. Um, to get to the other points of your question, when you talk about being close, right? Like you said, like, I don't think they are remotely close. I think it's important to define that endpoint. close to what? Close to the playoffs, they're certainly closer than they were two years ago, in my estimation. But they're not—they're not all that close. It's relative. They're closer, but they're not—they're not a playoff team, and they're not close to being a playoff team. After this next season, this upcoming season, they should be closer. After that, the expectation should be to compete for a playoff spot. I think people look at rebuilds through the lens of the five-year plan. Um, 
we have two tank years already under our belts. You can argue about whether or not that first year was a rebuild year, but I mean, they sold pretty heavy that year, right? Like they sold Tyler Toffoli, they sold Arturi Lekkanen, they sold Ben Sherratt, like they sold hard to put them in this situation that they are in now. So I think that that counts as a tank year. It certainly felt like one. It was the most miserable of any of them. Um, so we're probably in for one more tank year next year. So that's three. And then a year following that where they're probably going to try to complete, compete for a playoff spot. That's four. And in year five, I think playoffs should be the expectation. Not, not a goal. Year four, playoffs should be a goal. But in year five, playoffs should be the standard. It's, okay, this is a playoff team now. Let's try to turn this thing into a winner. And to the point of rushing or skipping steps, what have they done that's looked like a rush? Um, I, I think, you know, they've been complete non-factors in free agency over the last few years. They're not, they're not you know, signing guys in their early to mid-30s, you know, to try to win now. They're not trading futures for assets to help them now. I suppose you could make the argument that trading for Newhook has shades of that philosophy, but trading a late first and an early second for a 22-year-old isn't exactly going for it in the traditional sense. Um, so, I, I, you know, that one can, could, could go either way, honestly. I think they found a guy in Newhook who matches the core age of the team that's already here. Um. They're playing the younger players in big situations. They're doling out money in term to the young players. They're shedding salary and not committing big salary to players outside the core of this team. This isn't to say that they've done everything right, right? Like, I don't think that's true at all. I've taken exception with some of the things they've done, particularly at the draft. The Jake Allen extension over time has looked pretty poor. Um, but I don't know that I can look at the whole body of work here from Hughes and Gorton and say that they're rushing anything. Because I don't think that, like, I don't think they will have done this any faster than they should have. Five years is a long time. We're almost, we're, you know, halfway through this season, we'll be halfway there. And it's not supposed to be, you know, five years, you're tanking, you're bottoming out, you're, you're the worst team in the league. And then year six, you snap your fingers, the light goes on, and you're a competitor. That's not how. That's not really how this ought to be. I know, you know, people like to point at the New Jersey Devils because that's sort of what they did. But the Devils had massive injury problems, not last year, because last year was the year they were really good, but the year before that. So, I think Montreal gets one more lottery pick in this upcoming season to add to the core. And then that's going to be the core that they take a run at winning a cup with. Caulfield, Suzuki, Doc, Slavkovsky, Reinbacher, Hudson, Cooley. That's your, that's your core. How can you tinker around that to make that a winner? That's what's going to be really interesting over the next few years. All right. Well, that's all I've got. Really appreciate you guys sending in questions. Um, before I go... Uh, last, last time we spoke, I mentioned, you know, that we, I will keep you guys posted on any new socials because Twitter is kind of, uh, you know, being elon to death. Um, if you're on threads, you can find me there at maybe underscore it's Ian. 
since they pulled these ads from Instagram, I was not able to get my old at. Someone already has, maybe it's Ian. Even though when I search for him, I cannot find them. So, darn. But if you're on Blue Sky, uh, I did manage to keep that at maybe it's ian.bsky.social. What are we calling posts on Blue Sky? Because I want to call them skeets, but that doesn't seem like it's it. So follow me on those places just in case Twitter goes the way of the dodo overnight, which honestly could happen at any moment. Um, so thanks for listening. I'll be back when there is more news to talk about um, or when I have something worth talking about. Um, until then, try your best to enjoy your summer. Um, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mug. Check the link in the description to head over to his Bandcamp page to check out the rest of his stuff. All right, guys. Take care. Talk soon. Bye.